Great. If you have your Bibles with you, can you turn with me to Ezekiel? Ezekiel chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 13 to 18. Ezekiel chapter 14, and we'll begin to read in verse 13. And um, I don't know if you're in the habit of doing this. We are at Pine Ridge. Uh, we stand as we read the Word of God. Yeah, can you stand with me? Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness, they could not deliver themselves, declares the Lord God. If I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they depopulated it, and it became desolate, so that no one would pass through it because of the beasts, though these three men were in the midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either their sons nor their daughters, they alone would be delivered, but the country would be desolate. Or if I should bring a sword on that country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord God, they could not deliver either the sons or their daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, incredibly grateful to come together as a community of believers. Your word says they were glad when they, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. And here we are, Lord, and we're glad to be here. This is not ritual. We don't come out of routine. We come first and foremost, Lord, as a, as a means where we gather together as a community of believers to corporately worship your name. We are your sons and as your daughters uh, to our father, we want to worship you. But we also want to learn from your word. And so this morning, as we approach your word, I pray that you would help us to submit to it. There's many voices and lots of things going on in our head this morning, but your spirit has a way of taking your word and applying it to our lives individually. So we'd ask you to do that this morning. We submit to your word, Lord, not because, again, not because we have to. It's because we believe this is your divine spoken word to us. And so we pray, Lord, you'd help us to think differently. And help us to behave differently because we want to be changed in accordance with your word. We've got lots of thoughts and lots of ideas on how to live in this world. But your word trumps them all. Your word is the foundation of truth we live our lives by. So Lord, we submit to it this morning. And we ask that you would penetrate through to the depths of our souls with it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So what about war? What about war? It's in our headlines these days. What are we supposed to think about it? For those of you who know Bruce Springsteen, and if you do, you've dated yourself a little bit. Uh, he sang a song, War, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. About a month ago, I don't think any of us could have imagined that Russia would go to war with Ukraine. Those in the younger generation, you've not even experienced war at all. The older generation, we remember Iraq and these kinds of things, but the younger generation, you can't even imagine a major war going on in this world. But I'm sure you've, along with me, have been watching all kinds of uh, images of military convoys, horror, of bloodshed and bombing, and cities that have been wiped right out. 
We can hardly believe our eyes. So what about war? What, what side are we supposed to be on? Are we supposed to be on the side of war or against the side of war? What about if you're a Christian living in Ukraine or a Christian living in Russia? How are you supposed to process this all? And what if you're a Christian and you're, list, you're enlisted in the army or the military of Ukraine? Or better yet, what if you're a Christian enlisted under Russia? How are you supposed to process all of this? What should a Christian man who's been serving the Russian military do now? Or should Christians even be in the military? Now we're bombarded with how we're supposed to think in our society about war, and especially over this particular war. But this is not where we take our, where we take our cues from. We take them from God's word. So is there such thing as a just war? And if so, what's the criteria of evaluating such wars? Well, what about pacifists? Are they right? So my aim this morning, and I recognize that this is a large uh, topic, my aim this morning is to uh, engage you with God's word and the subject uh, of war. And I recognize because it's such a large subject matter that I'm, I'm opening myself up to a large-scale um, bombardment in the dialogue afterwards. And that's one of the dangerous things Andrew and I talk about every week is that when we have a dialogue, um, we try to fill our back pocket with uh, anticipating what you all may ask. And uh, quite uh, honestly, in a situation or a subject matter like this, I doubt my back pocket will be full. So I may not be able to answer all your questions. But my aim this morning is to do my best to help you to engage in the subject matter of, of war. More importantly, what God thinks of it from the Bible. Now, in order to hit this subject matter, we're going to have to hit several passages. And so to begin with, we've started out with Ezekiel chapter 14, and so we'll begin there. You notice that it says right at the beginning, If a country sins against me, in verse 13, by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it. This is God talking about countries. He says, if there's countries out there who are committing unfaithfulness toward me, and I stretch my hand out against it. We're talking countries now. And he's got a different ways in which he can uh, go against these countries. He says he can cut off their supply of bread, send famine to them, etc., etc. But look down in verse 17. Or if I, this is God speaking, if I should bring a sword on that country, if I should bring a sword on that country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it. It would appear to me that God, if he so desires, can come against a country if they commit acts of unfaithfulness toward him. And one of the ways he can do this is by bringing a sword against it. Now, we're probably not talking about some divine sword that we see coming and, and wiping out people. We're talking about God bringing countries against other unfaithful countries. This is how God carries out his justice in the world. Now, this doesn't mean, though, that every time a country in the most minute way acts unfaithfully toward God, that God sends in countries with the sword against it. That's not what we're talking about. If it were the case, then we'd have 
No countries. We'd have no leaders. They'd all be snuffed out. But God allows for freedom in this world with the hopes that evil countries will change. That's his hope. But the question then becomes, how long will God put up with evil in a country? How long will he put up with these evil countries that we know of around the world before they change? Well, even to the point of rampant violence, even to the point of rampant violence, there are cases in the scriptures where God chooses to come against countries, and when he does so, it's because such countries are in absolute, uh, in an absolute wicked and evil way countrywide. Take, for example, Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember when the angels came down and they said, we came down to see if the wickedness that is coming up to heaven is actually as bad as is coming up. And you remember the whole story. And God says to Lot, get your family out of here. This whole city is going to be wiped out. And it's God saying, now I'm coming and I'm wiping it out. Or take the rampant violence of Nineveh. Remember the story in Jonah. And Jonah comes in there and he's thinking that God's going to wipe out this country and he's glad for it in some senses. But he's also wondering whether or not God would have mercy on this country if they turned around. And of course, he doesn't want that. But after Jonah comes in and he says, in three days, you're going to be wiped out. Now, God does not ever hope to wipe out any country. Ezekiel says that God, said, God takes pleasure in the death of nobody. He never wants this. He always wants them to repent, even in Nineveh. And Nineveh, once, once Jonah came with the message there in Jonah chapter 3, and verse 8, if you're taking notes, it says this, Let each man turn from his wicked way and the violence that is in his hands. That's a king speaking for the whole area. And he's not saying there, there might be one person out here or there who have... No, he says, let each person, let each person... Stop with the violence that is in their hands. We're talking rampant violence going on. This is the case in which God now seems to get involved. But even here, God's hoping for change. But if they do not change, God comes against them. And one of the methods that he chooses to do so is through war. I would like you to turn with me to another passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 36. What's curious about God is that he doesn't show preference, even if it's his own people who are showing all kinds of wickedness. And this story is exactly in regards to this, in regards to this. Second Chronicles chapter 36, and beginning to read in verse 15. And the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore, he, this is God, therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their affliction, in the house of their sanctuary, rather, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or infirm. He gave them all into his hand. 
And all the articles of the house of the Lord, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, the treasures of the king and all his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. And those who had escaped, watch this, from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, and they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. What are we talking about here? We're talking about a country, God's own country, who he desired to be his people. To walk in the way that God wanted them to walk, they went absolutely sideways. And God says, no, no, I'll send a messenger. Certainly they'll listen to my messengers. No, I'll send prophets. Maybe they'll listen to them. No. And then the word of God says, until there was no longer any remedy. At such case, what God does is he is the one who brings up the Chaldeans to come and punish this country. And this happens to be his own country. It says there, God brought up the Chaldeans against them. So what if a country, what if our country, isn't doing anything against the injustices we see? Is it up to us to personally carry out such justice? Absolutely not. Again, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Luke chapter 22 and verse 49. Do you remember Peter? He says, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Remember, it's in that the, the mob has come to get Jesus and, hey, shall we strike with the sword? And before Jesus can answer, out comes Peter's sword and he starts swinging it around and he hucks off Malchus's ear. And there's a bloody mess now on the ground and, and, and Jesus says to Peter, put your sword away. And he picks up his ear and puts it back on Malchus's head. This is not the way we do it. This is not you carrying out your own personal justice system. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament is there physical force used by Christians to carry out God's justice in their country. I'm going to say that again. Nowhere in the New Testament is there physical force used by Christians to carry out God's justice in their country. So how then does God carry out justice? How does he make sure that justice actually happens in this world? This is his world, after all. He does this through governments. He does this through other countries. We pick this up in Romans chapter 13. And again, we're going to a number of different passages this morning. But Romans chapter 13... And if you don't get there in due time, I will begin anyways. I've got page number 1080. Good luck if it's the same page as yours. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Have a listen to this. Again, if you, if, you, if you can't get there fast enough, just jot it down. You can look it up later. Listen to this. Let every person be subjected to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. And here's the key. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. What we're talking about here is we're talking about God sets up systems on this planet. And he sets up systems and governing authorities to what? To punish evil. 
That's what he does, to punish evil and to praise that which is right. Now, do our governing authorities always operate in that way? No, they do not. So we don't say, well, therefore God must be in favor of what Putin's doing right now. No, we're talking about in a specific category. Did you catch it here? It's to punish evil. It's to punish evil and to praise what is right. As a rule, governing authorities, this is as a rule, governing authorities are put in place by God to carry out his wrath on evildoers. Governing authorities are put in place by God to carry out his wrath on evildoers. And in verse 4, I'm sure you caught it there. It does not bear the sword for nothing. We're not just talking about imprisonment here. We're talking about a sword as a means of, of God carrying out his wrath through governing authorities. But we know that all governing authorities act in ways uh, that at times does not punish evil. So what happens then? Like the governing authorities of Sodom and Gomorrah, or the kingdoms of Canaan, when the Israelites, remember when the Israelites were coming into the land of Canaan, or Nineveh, or later Israel itself, such governing authorities were not carrying out God's justice on this planet. They were not punishing evil because they've become so corrupt. Now some may make the case, or try to make the case, that if governing authorities are morally wrong in any one area, we are to dismiss them altogether. Dismiss them and say they're anti-God, they're non-place. Well, if that's the case, there's no governing authorities in this world. Justin Trudeau, we know that he has uh, uh, a lot of flaws. And uh, in particular, not a flaw, but something that has gone further. He endorses abortion and he tells all his MPs, you sign on the dotted line that you are in favor of abortion. So should we throw out, therefore, the governing authorities in our land? Well, again, if we go back to when God overthrows governments, when he overthrows countries, when God gets involved, it's because a country has gone very, very wrong. We're not talking about throwing out governments by the lack of morality in a few areas. We are evaluating them when they, carry, when they are carrying out justice in our country and the world the way they ought to be. And by and large, our country does a good job. I know we're kind of like the Brits, and we love to criticize our country. The Brits are crazy. Like, you see those guys in, in, in Parliament and stuff, and they just, and they're so critical of their own people, it is, it is really, really harsh. We're kind of in the middle, and then America, they seem to just approve anybody who's in place. Um, but we're not talking about throwing out our governing authorities and their system because they're not doing well in a few areas of morality. Our justice system is a good system. It's a good system. And I venture to say that um, if we were to talk in certain areas of, of property damage or personal damage, my hunch is you would believe this system would actually uh, take care of you. Because we have a good system here. If we don't, you don't think we have a good system, try living in North Korea. Try living in, in Iran and places like this. We've got a good system. And so we support our government and we support our country as they are functioning in the roles that they ought to when they punish evil. So punishing evil is the standard by which governments are evaluated by God. And certainly there are government, governments who do not function this way. 
The current Russian attack of Ukraine certainly doesn't look like to me like it's punishing evil. Now, I can say that because I sit in my armchair and I read all the news reports. I'm not there. But from what I see, from what I understand, it does not seem to me like they are punishing evil. Or take the Iraq war, the Iraq war 30 years ago. What was the stated reason for the war? Somebody who's old enough, tell me, what was the stated reason for war? Weapons of mass destruction. Did they find any? Is weapons of mass destruction, is that a reason for going to war? Or take the threat right now, which is getting more increased as they watch what's going on in Russia. Take the threat right now of China going into Taiwan. All these wars, as far as I can see, are not for the purpose of punishing evil. Such wars are not for the purpose of punishing evil. So what happens if you live in that country? How do you view your own governing authority? Again, let's take it a step further. What if you happen to be in the military in that country? Now, some Christians go uh, quite far on the other side, and they say that disciples of Jesus are forbidden ever to bear the sword. They're forbidden to do so. Um, I don't take that position. I don't think that's the position of the Bible. Um, but first of all, let me just say this. Is it wrong to be in the military, biblically speaking? No, it is not wrong to be in the military at all. I'm glad for Christians, both in the police force, and I'm glad for Christians in the military. And I'm, let me give you uh, three examples. Again, you can jot these down and look at them later. Do you remember in Luke chapter 3, when John the Baptist, he's, he's baptizing all the people out in the Jordan, out in the wilderness, and people are all coming to him. And there was a group that came. There's there's a few groups that came to him, and one of the groups was a group of soldiers, and they came to be baptized. And after they got baptized, there was some confusion as to what it looks like for them to live out the Christian life. And John says to them, "You brood of vipers!" And he's talking not only to the soldiers but to tax gatherers and others. He says, "Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come?" So if he's calling as a part of this larger group the soldiers, "You brood of vipers." Wouldn't that be the most opportune time for, for him to say, you should actually leave the military. It's not there. It's not there. He says, don't take any money by force. Don't, don't accuse anybody falsely. But he mentions nothing about leaving the military because being in the military is not anti-God. It's not anti-Christian. Or take Acts chapter 10. Do you remember Cornelius? What was his job? Centurion. And it says that uh, when, uh, when God comes to him through an angel, it says, your prayers and your alms have come up before God as a memorial. He didn't say, ah, except for one thing, you're in the military. You've got to leave the military in order to be a real Christian. It's not there. Or take Luke chapter 7, a great story there. Jesus again is talking to somebody in the military, another centurion, Luke chapter 7, and he says, I have not seen such great faith ever, apart from this guy right here, this centurion. He didn't say, once this guy leaves, then he'll really be sold out for me. To be a Christian, there is no contradiction to be a Christian and to be in the military or to be in the police force, and I'm grateful for such Christians. The problem is not being in the military, as they are there to punish the injustices of their own country and at times around the world. But this does not mean that Christian military personnel 
is to blindly accept their own country's rationale for military action. Just because it's your own country doesn't mean you blindly accept their rationale for going to war. Because there are times that countries go to war where they are not punishing evil. What would you do if you were a Christian in the war in Germany? And the chancellor says, it's time for you to take up arms against the Jews and starts telling you to do all kinds of unspeakable things and not just to the Jews. But what was the rationale for Hitler around the world? It wasn't to punish evil. It was to expand his empire. Or a U.S. soldier in 2003 carrying a gun against the potential weapons of mass destruction. What would you do if you're in the military then? Now I should say this. I'm just going to step off to the side for a minute. The stated reason for going to war, from what I remember in Iraq, was weapons of mass destruction, as some of you have noted. But Saddam Hussein was an evil man. There are mass graves that have come up where he has uh, killed his own people. And maybe for you, if you're in the military at that uh, juncture point, and you'd say, well, I, I hear the stated reason, but I also understand that this guy's got to be taken out for that reason. Therefore, maybe uh, bearing arms at that point in the military would be okay. But the notion just of weapons of mass destruction as for going to war, that's pretty difficult to do when the United States had their own weapons of mass destruction. Certainly they're not asking other people to come and invade them. Or take our current situation. A Christian Russian soldier carrying out violence against a country in order to expand their country, in order to expand their own territory. Or Christians in the Chinese military if in the future they attack Taiwan. In my limited understanding, again, I'm sitting in my own armchair, but in my limited understanding of those wars, they are not carrying out punishment of evil in other countries. So as a Christian in the military, one needs to evaluate why your country is bearing a sword for another. Just because you're a part of that country does not mean you blindly accept the reason and the rationale for your country to go to war. We are citizens of a different country. We are citizens of heaven first. Then we're citizens of Canada. And if in your own country it doesn't line up with God's way, as you evaluated from the word, such Christians would need to lay down their weapon. They would need to lay them down. Some of you will remember the story in Judges 20. It's a great story. and I'm not, I would love to go through the whole thing, but if you could just jot it down, you can read it later. Israel, as a, as a larger group, went, went against Benjamin. And, in, and the reason why they went against Benjamin, there is, there is tribes and territories at that point. And uh, Benjamin, in their own country, there's a horrific, brutal uh, act of violence um, against a woman. She was raped repeatedly by a group of thugs. And uh, so Israel came out and they said, uh, hand us over such men. And Benjamin says, we're not going to do so. Benjamin said, instead, we're going to war against you. You can't take our guys. And Israel said, hey, the reason why we want those guys is they're evil and wicked men. Now hand them over. They said, no. So Benjamin, all the guys of Benjamin, took up their own sword and went against Israel because Israel was going to attack them for the evil that was taking place in their own country. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus in those days and you're in the tribe of Benjamin, you take that sword and you lay it down on the ground. This is not a reason for me to fight 
This, they're trying to take care of evil that's happening in our own country. It doesn't matter that I happen to be a Benjamin. I laid down my own sword. However, if the sword is drawn to punish evil, then such countries are being used by God. Our own country's role and rationale for why we were involved in Afghanistan, or the countries going to war back in the day against the German Nazi regime in the 1940s. It's God's way of punishing evil in this world. You're using the sword, acting underneath your governing authorities, appointed by God to carry out action against the injustices around the world. So it's not about our allegiance to our own country or their allegiance to their military uniform. It is about being used as God's agents to snuff out evil in this world because we understand it first biblically, not nationally. We understand it first biblically. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, I mentioned this already, makes it clear that we're citizens of heaven first. That's where we belong. God's our king, and so we function underneath God as our king. And sometimes our kings or our governing authorities don't function the way that God wants them to. And if you happen to be in the military at such points, you lay down your arms if they're going out to punish things that are not evil. They're going and they've got their own rationale for going to war and it doesn't line up with God's word and his way. Again, that's where we go first. Then we lay down our arms. It doesn't matter if it's our own country. You see, God uses countries to carry out injustices around the world and I'm grateful he does it. We've already read about it in several places. As such, we endorse this system because it's God's system. We endorse it. This is the way that God carries out punishing the injustices and the evil and the wicked in this world. Now, does that mean we can always tell every time when God's involved? Maybe not. But we can understand when countries are carrying out um, actions, uh, military actions against evil and wickedness that are being carried out in other countries. And we'd say, that's God's system. That's God's system and we endorse it. As such, Christians can be used in the military in such cases. And we would do well to support such actions as those who support God's ordained system of carrying out his wrath through the governing authorities around the world. Now, my sermon's not as long this morning as maybe uh, Dexter's are. I understand that he goes about 40 minutes or 45, sometimes it goes a little longer. Uh, but I want to leave some room for dialogue about this. And what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to talk together. Uh, am I suggesting to you that I have uh, all the answers? Uh, no, I don't. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to direct you to the Word of God. And as I direct you to God's Word, hopefully you, your mind has been engaging around God's Word. And now we can have a conversation about it. So you may ask some questions uh, that, I, that I may not have the answer to. Um, but, and there, there may be some other things that I've missed. I'm certainly uh, hitting a very large subject matter, and maybe there's some things that I've missed, and I hope that you'll help me as we have a conversation together. Okay, first of all, rulers are set up by God for the punishment of evil, and therefore are endorsed by God when they are doing so. It's very clear from the scriptures. Rulers are set up by God for the punishment of evil, 
and therefore are endorsed by God when they are doing so. When they're punishing evil, and we have, this is what evil is. We can understand what evil and good is by God's word. That's the measurement, not what our governing authorities are. We understand it from here. So if our government, uh, or if our country, as we're watching what's going on in Russia and other places around the world, if they're actually punishing evil, we say, that's God's system. That's God's system. That's how he functions. That's how he operates. That's how he carries out and snuffs out the evil and wickedness in this world. And several passages there. You can look at them later. And by the way, Deuteronomy 9, 3 and 4 that I mentioned here. Do you remember when Israel was coming into the land of Canaan? And some people have misunderstood that the reason why God was giving the Israelites the land of Canaan is because it's the promised land and God just wanted to get rid of those people. That's not the case. Deuteronomy chapter 9, 3 and 4 makes it very clear. And he says to the Israelites this. Don't think for a moment that it's because of your own righteousness that you're taking out these countries in Canaan. These countries are very wicked, and I'm using you to carry this out. Now you're going to get the land as a, as a major bonus. But I am using you to carry out the injustices that's going on around uh, the, the land of Canaan. I didn't mention that in my sermon, but I put that note down there. Secondly, Christians must not endorse rulers who engage in war for reasons apart from punishing evil, even if it's, there's, even if, even if it's their own country. Um, I don't know if this, how prolific this is with Canadians, because I don't know very many Canadians in the military. Um, but in talking with my uh, Christian friends in America, they always think America is right. doesn't matter what war, doesn't matter what they're doing, they always think they're right. And so they don't even, it's a lot harder for them to... Uh, to grab a hold of lesson two. Because even if it's their own country that's going to war, they just think it must be right. Because it's our country. And, and Americans misunderstand that America is a Christian nation. It is not that. It is not a Christian nation. And so we must not endorse rulers who engage in war for reasons apart from punishing evil. Even if it's, their, even if it's your own country. At such point, you lay down your arms. If your country is going to war for reasons other then what you find is punishing evil, you lay down your arms. Because you're a citizen of heaven first. And then you're a citizen of your country. And then thirdly and finally, Christians can be used as God's agents in the military when their country is carrying out the punishment of evil. But when they are not, Christian military personnel should lay down the country's arms. Two and three kind of uh, intermixed together. But um, I would say Christians who are involved in the military or... Maybe your kids want to get in the military and that's one of their aspirations. That's one of God's ways that he carries out the injustices around the world. Maybe your kid has aspirations to be in the police force. Maybe somebody here is involved in the police force. I'm grateful for you if you are. I'm grateful for the people who engage in such activities where they are endorsed underneath God's system to carry out the injustices and the evil of this world. Sometimes it's locally, sometimes it's nationally. But when your country is not doing what they ought to do, and they're not actually punishing evil. There's other reasons why they're going to war. And you lay down your arms. Uh, Lord, we're so grateful for your word that we can um, go to it and uh, find direction and the truth that we can hang our hat on. And uh, we can confidently live our lives with that and um, make a difference in how we live amongst other people that don't have that hope and truth. And I pray um, after today that our uh, priorities of sharing about Jesus are 
at the forefront and that we um, look for the opportunities that you give us to share the truth and share our testimony and, and the joy about being in relationship with you and, and the hope that you give us. And uh, Thank you for the time spent in your word that Dan did with you and, and your spirit and uh, <coughs> sing, sing to your name. Man.